Hello and welcome to this week's 1201 podcast. My name's Callum Watts. I'm here with Callum Roper. Hi there, everyone. And also Bradley Alsop. Hello, everyone. And uh, today there has well the uh, the title we just thought of for the episode was uh, "There's a Storm Coming," uh, but actually it's already come. Keir Starmer is now the leader of the Labour Party. Five years of Jeremy Corbyn have come to an end, for better or worse, uh, and the new leader says he will lead us into a new era. Today, he has made his first uh, public statements, but we don't know yet who he's going to appoint to his shadow cabinet. Um, I think it will be interesting to see, Callum, who he appoints. Do you think that uh, he's going to put... Rebecca Long Bailey in into his shadow cabinet if he wants to have a, a representative body of the broad church of the Labour Party? Well, I would certainly hope that he does. I mean, obviously, as somebody on the Rebecca Long Bailey campaign, that's obviously I'd rather she'd be leader, but I think she's such a talented politician in the party. She's obviously a leading voice on the left of the party. So it, it would make sense if, if Starmer and his team are so keen on this unity figure that he's been portrayed to be, then surely to bring people like Rebecca Long-Bailey into the shadow cabinet in a prominent role, not just on the outskirts or in a, in a minnow's role. I think she should be in a, in a big role within the shadow cabinet, because if we are talking about unity, ultimately, it would, you've got to bring the right and the, part and the left of the party together. And you've got to start by reaching out to these big figures, sort of the big beasts, as it were, within the party. Um, what I what I do fear about is currently we have sort of chatters going on. I know last week we sort of touched on it, the likes of Rachel Reeves um, being touted for shadow chancellor. Uh, for me, she's a she's an appalling um, figure on the right of the party. To have her in such a prominent position, I think, is is a dangerous step to the right for the party. Some of the narrative that she's she's had in the past on things like immigrants is is worrying and it's and it's quite scary as somebody on the left of the party that potentially there could be a purge of left figures within the top echelons of of, of the shadow cabinet. Mm. Um, Let's I, it does. Sorry, just with uh, on, on Rachel Reeves um, mm. back in twenty fifteen, she actually went on record as saying. Um, where's the quotes now? Um, we don't want to be seen and we are not the party of people who are out of work. And it's an interesting thing for her to have said that because at the time, if you recall, it was all about the media were trying to portray things as scroungers versus strivers, you know, strivers being hardworking people who, who go out and earn a wage and earn a living, and then the scroungers, anyone who's sitting at home on benefits, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, we know that's not true. Um, mm-hmm. We know that the benefits that you could, uh, the, the benefits that are available to people, are barely enough to survive on. Nobody actually wants to be in that position, um, and now that the coronavirus crisis has happened um there's now 
going to be about one in five people in the UK who are out of work. There's millions of new applications for universal credit, and there's a huge number of people who might never have thought they would be on the dole, who are now discovering the harsh realities of the welfare state. So do you think it's still viable for someone like Rachel Reeves to place... I mean, we don't know if Rachel Reeves is even going to be in the shadow cabinet. This is pure speculation. It is, it is speculation. We've got to make that clear. And we will find out in the coming days who will actually take up these roles. But I know there's been a lot of chatter around characters like her. Mm. Uh, there's, um, an, uh, I think just to sort of finish that point, I think the reason why it's worth thinking about that is that it would give an indication of where he's actually going to go. Uh, in in terms of in terms of policy, um, Annalise Dodds is another one. I don't really know much about her, to be honest. I don't know if you do. Um, Not particularly. Uh, no, she's an MP since two, 2017. So it would be an odd choice to suddenly elevate someone who's only been in Parliament for a couple of years to being Shadow Chancellor, but then maybe not so weird when you consider that the actual um, Chancellor of the Exchequer has also only been in Parliament for uh, a couple of years, um, Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Angela, Angela Rain has only been in, in Parliament for five years. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, unprecedented times in terms of experience. You know, it used to be you'd have to spend at least a decade in Parliament before you even considered for big roles. But now it's... Uh, you know, you can only spend even a couple of years, two, three years, and you're already considered in the, up there in the top, in the top rankings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Rishi Sunak um, was elected uh, member for Richmond in Yorkshire, not um, not London, um, in 2015. Uh, so he's, a, he's mm-hmm. only been an MP for five years. Um, uh, another indicator about where he's going to go might also be with what what he does with the community organizer program which is something i'm very very interested in um because we know that the whole of the media is against us in this country or the whole of the big media um yeah 1201 isn't 1201 isn't isn't. there are a few others as well um but you know all of these sites have have followings but they're not you know we're not a national broadcaster you know we no. don't have the capacity to produce hundreds of thousands of, of news and newspapers that people are still getting delivered now um and they set the agenda still we saw that in the time because there was a period up in 2015 where because jeremy corbyn could never have been elected leader before 2010, before social media came in. And so uh, a lot of people, myself included, thought, okay, maybe things are changing. You know, maybe there are alternative ways of getting of getting the word out, getting the truth out and um, undermining traditional media. But then the Brexit referendum happened in 2016, which is obviously based on lies and misinformation primarily f- put forward by the mainstream media, but then, of course, you could argue that that's a 30-year campaign, so maybe that was something. But then, of course, 2019 was probably the big example of why the, the traditional media is still very powerful, um, because despite having a manifesto which was 
really identical to the 2017 one that was that nearly won a general election. Um, we still lost heavily because the media was against us. The only way we can challenge that effectively is by having a strong, well politically educated grassroots movement, and that takes time to develop. Uh, the Labour Party has something like twenty odd community organisers, which are dedicated to. Um, getting the Labour Party involved in your local residence groups, clean-up associations and things like that um, as a way to make that sort of political link Say and say to them, and, and local politicians do this all the time uh, quite effectively, but it's not done by activists as such, um, which is that, well, actually, if you want your neighbourhood cleaned up, if you want people to have more civic pride, then come and get more involved in politics because if you have the state on your side and there's a dialogue between you then you can actually get things done more effectively Um, and that's how you build trust and a following in the community which helps you to in turn win elections it's a reciprocal relationship if i agree i think i think I think, you know, the biggest myth that is told at an election time is that you, you can't change anything if you're not in power. Um, it's just not true. It just ignores the reality of how politics works. Um, I, th- I think it probably stems from a, a, a sort of quite a, a narrow conception of politics that's focused on the state. Um, and that I think a lot of probably centrists and perhaps Keir Starmer supporters, um, how they view political and social change. Um, but it it doesn't really work like that in reality. Um, there's, there's plenty of things you can do to try and change things. Obviously, it helps to have a, a government on your side that, that's sympathetic to your views. But, it, but even then, even when you've got a Labour government, you still need strong community groups. You still need strong activist groups being able to hold those governments to account. Um, and, and no government will be perfect. There'll always be some things that a government will get wrong. Um, so you, you're always going to need strong community activism. And that will play a role whatever era of politics we're in. Um, but particularly at the moment, whilst you know we we're potentially got four and a half years until the next election, um, it, we don't really have a choice. You know, we we've got to be sort of building up community groups. We've got to be, I think, more outward looking um, as local parties. I think a lot of par- local parties focus on council elections um, and then and then general elections. Um, and and as a party, I think a lot of individuals within parties will be doing good work. But as a party, we don't always go out and campaign on local issues and try and change things in the local community. As a party, um, I think often councillors will do a lot of good work. But but as a party and as activists, we don't always get out there. But we we can change things that way. Um, and I think that that's what we need to be doing over the next two three years. Um, we need to be building up a base in all the communities across the country. And then when we are going around knocking on people's doors at general elections time, um, people will recognise the people knocking on their doors as people that have campaigned for, for various things in their community over the last three years. Yeah, that's right. Um, mm-hmm. And the, but the right wing of the party, which believes it has won this weekend, let's, let's, let's be honest, they believe that they have won, has always hated the idea of working class people organizing themselves um because in and in their own interests because in due course they might then become radical activists who might think oh maybe we can actually run things ourselves we don't need you know these slightly patronizing um you know <laughs> compromisers and so on um to run things for us i think that's that's their fear um and 
I think we need to kind of make people realise that, and there is sometimes a sort of um, councillor-centric view that feeds into that, you know, that councillors do all of the local work and activists, whether this is a conscious thought or not, are just there to sort of deliver leaflets and win elections. But actually, if you're a local politician, if you have the Labour Party local Labour Party members mobilised behind you, actually that should make your job easier. Um, it should mean that you that you that those community groups can become bigger and there will be mm. more overlap in that respect. And yes, you might face more scrutiny as a consequence, but is that really a bad thing? If you're good at your job, then you should always have a dialogue with, uh, with your community. But at the moment, the that community organised programme is apparently quite unpopular. If it's scrapped, that will be a disaster for the party. And it will also be an indication of where Starmer and the new leadership want to go. But I hope I'm wrong. I hope that they're going to be more committed to grassroots activism. So a lot of that is speculation. We don't know what he's going to do. He's only been in charge for a day. Uh, what we do know is what he has already said so far. Um, now, the coronavirus is a great tragedy, but it's also a political opportunity to actually say to people, well, one of the reasons why we're in this mess, why one of the reasons why so many people are suffering, one of the reasons people are dying is because, and this is the truth, our NHS has been cut to the bone over the last few years. We've lost thousands of nurses. We've lost the opportunity to recruit more. Um, we don't have enough ventilators because despite report after report saying that the NHS was unprepared for a pandemic like this that was completely ignored by the government, which let's not forget has been in power for 10 years, I think that the leader of the Labour Party should really be reminding people of that. Starmer has said that um, he will give his support to the government in his acceptance speech, um, which is fine, but I think it has to be qualified on the basis of saying, this cannot be allowed to happen again. We will help you during this crisis, but when it's done, we need to see changes. Um, I, I think um, I think the biggest issue at the moment is the attempt to depoliticize um, the pandemic. I think um, we we we've talked about it before um, on on this podcast about how uh, you know a, a pandemic isn't just a virus; it's it's a virus in a social, a political, and an economic context. Um, so, so the the workers' rights that a society has, the the funding um, for health services, and the organisation of health services that a society has, all of those things will contribute to a pandemic, either by reducing it or or increasing it. Um, but I think that's quite a nuanced position. I think, and and often in in our press in this country, we 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 don't have a press that likes to have nuance um, in its headlines. Um, so. Uh, and, and to be honest, I, th I think a lot, a lot of people at the moment, they they're happy to have a depoliticized pandemic because it's it, you know it's a time for national unity, it's a time for us all to do our bit, um, and and time to give all the support to our to our leaders so they they can tackle it. 
um, and it, and it, it the way a pandemic is talked about as well is it, it's seen as this sort of it's it's a force of nature that that you know you can't do anything about Boris couldn't have done anything about it and um, no one could have done anything about it so to criticize them is just unfair um you know but but it's just not true there are things that could have been done years ago there are things that could have been done weeks ago um, and I'm sure at some point we'll read something that tells us there are things that should have been done hours ago that weren't done. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think we we need a Labour Party that is cri- critical of the government. Um, I, I don't, I'm a bit suspect about these ideas of sort of national national unity governments and all the rest of it. Um, not, I don't think for a second the Conservatives would be interested in that anyway. Um Unless things get really desperate and they just want to be able to share out the blame, um, but I don't, I don't think they're there yet. Um, but I, I think there's labour can be more useful at the moment, um, holding the government to account and being critical of the government, um, than it can be joining a coalition that would effectively just just share the blame. I think. Yeah, I th- yeah. do you think that um, Starmer is thinking back to? like the 1940s, which was the last time there was um, a, a Labour-Tory coalition of a sort, a national government, which is what you mentioned before. One of the big factors in winning that election in 1945 was because we were already in government. And for the last three years during a national crisis, we've been running the country. Do you think that's sort of, do you think he's seriously thinking of going down that route? I think it would perhaps appeal to to the to the tradition Starmer is in, and um, I mean, there there are arguments that that worked well in World War Two actually, um, for for socialism. Uh, you know, it was followed by one of the most radical um, governments Britain's ever had, um, and by some accounts, the groundwork was laid for a lot of Labour policies actually during the war years, whilst Labour ministers were were, were holding office. Um, I suppose the question for now would be um, what what sort of actual control, if if there were some sort of coalition government or whatever, what sort of actual control over policy would Labour politicians be getting? Um, uh, I think we've got quite a quite a crafty government at the moment. I think Boris and and Dominic Cummins and you know that sort of apparatus behind them, in the same way that they're behind tr- Trump as well. I think. It's quite a savvy right wing that that's around at the moment, um, so I, I really can't see them letting Labour get anywhere near any actual sort of proper policy powers. Um, and if they did, I feel like it it would it would be very limited in what what that would look like. The the issue is is you don't want to fall into the trap of joining this government of national unity or whatever it's going to be painted to be not being given any apparatus of sort of the state, any policy, um, any policy areas that we have any influence over, and then attempting to withdraw from that and then being painted to be almost traitors to the national cause or whatever the right wing media will paint it to be. So if we are going to go down this path and if, if Starmer's going to consider it, he's got to consider whether we're going to have any influence and the consequences after this of it, because we could end up being trampled on by the Tories. If this goes, say, if we turn it around and, and the outcome of this virus is that they reduce the deaths significantly um, and they somehow be painted up to save the country and save the people, yada, yada, yada. 
we then get trampled on because it's, it's the Tories' victory. And it might be because we've supported them and given them that political support. I don't think we should be... I mean, the first priority needs to be how do we reduce the number of casualties? Absolutely. Um, that's that's got to be the priority. And I, I kind of asked the question... I, I said before, one of the, I think I've said before, the reason why um, Labour or Winston Churchill needed the Labour Party in the Second World War was because there was a large chunk of the Conservative Party which wanted to make peace with Hitler. So he actually needed Labour votes to prosecute the war. That isn't the case for Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson can continue to run the country exactly as he wants during this national crisis. Parliament suspended anyway, uh, during during uh, and rightly so during this. Um, and so, I would be asking the question: What purpose was Labour joining the government serve, even if they were to allow us to do it? That there's no reason. There's no reason for it. The best thing that the Labour Party can do is to, well, actually, to be fair, Jeremy Corbyn has been doing for the last few weeks, which is saying, well, we were right, weren't we? We were absolutely right to say that you shouldn't be uh, damaging the NHS in this way, that actually you should be uh, investing it and not handing it over to private shareholders and so on, Um, that you should have been buying more ventilators and preparing for a potential crisis. That's what we should be doing. It's not just that. It's the wider economy as well. Mm. It's, it's, it's yeah. bigger issues. You know, housing. We could, they've, ended, they've, they've effectively clicked their fingers and demanded that homelessness is ended. And it was done over the space of a weekend. They were bringing people into hotels and, and lodgings. You know, and, and, then, and then they supported people with effectively what is there or thereabouts, a universal basic income to, uh, to put up their wages when they're not being employed by company. Yeah. And that's the issue that, you know, after this, we've got to say that these policies have worked and we've got to keep fighting for these policies and that they stay in. Because ultimately, if we, if it will be a backward step, you know, out of every crisis tends to come a, a massive change for this country. Out of World War II, we did get the Atlee government. And some of the best changes we've ever seen for, for healthcare, for social and for housing. But, you know, we can't afford to lose them now. And if and if the Tories do backtrack, it's the job of the Labour Party and the Labour leadership should be at the front of that, saying that we should be fighting for these policies to come back to give people that security in in times of in times of peace, as it were. Because mm. it's um it's a public health issue as well. Like there's been a lot of talk in the course of this epidemic, this pandemic. Um, that most of those who have died, oh, they had underlying health issues, etc., etc. But there will be fewer people with underlying health issues if there weren't quite so many people living on the streets, if there weren't quite so many people who were permanently stressed about, um, you know, the work that, that is available to them, if they weren't precarious workers, there would be it would be less of a public health risk 
if more people or all people had a secure roof over their head and actually it'd be less overcrowding as well do you not think if if we actually built some adequate housing if there weren't if um if the strategy wasn't to cram as many people into a smaller space as possible you know uh, that is an obvious public health risk especially now and that but that because of the scarcity of the number of homes that are being built and because of the amount of land hoarding from developers that's allowed to go on um and the price gouging by renters because there are no uh, rent controls in place across the country local authorities aren't allowed to impose them that is why people are crammed in together and for all of those reasons all of those are contributing factors making these crises worse, making us more vulnerable to future emergencies. And that is why more people die. So it's not just that people have, by an act of God, become unwell and coronavirus has just sort of finished them off. <laughs> it is because of... that. That's the narrative that's being sort of portrayed. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, you know, we're seeing that in the, in BBC articles with people saying they, oh, they're dying with coronavirus, you know, instead of of coronavirus. Uh, it's, uh, you know, and they, oh, they were going to die anyway. Well, it's not. Some people, no. of course, will die. We will all die. Yeah, exactly. But it's because of this public health crisis that is entirely man-made that so many people are dying, so many people are suffering, and why we are all in lockdown right now and will be for the next couple of months, probably. Do you think that, that there is, despite now having supposedly a right-wing leader of the Labour Party, do you think there's still hope for uh, radical politics? Given, given how much there is now a much greater awareness of climate change in the zeitgeist in particular, um, things have changed dramatically since Corbyn was first elected leader of the Labour Party. Do you think it's even possible for us to go back to the politics of uh, 2016 or 2010 or even, as some people probably would like to, 1997? Hmm. Um, I, I do think there's hope for radical politics. Um, I, I've just updated my... Th- I, had, I had a day or so to absorb the new reality, I think, before I put anything out on, on Facebook. But um, what I've just put out is basically, look at the reality of where we're at now. There are more socialists in the Labour Party um, than there has been for a long time, but more than anywhere else anyway, probably almost in Europe. There are more socialists in that organisation than than anywhere in Europe. Um, We saw hundreds of thousands of them stand and fight for a socialist manifesto in 2017 and 2019, and that hasn't gone away. Um, I think there's a there's a bundle of reasons why people have chose Starmer, um, but I don't think it's because they're rejecting the policy, um, uh, at least the, the sort of economic and social justice policy of, of the Corbyn era. Um, so those people haven't gone away. They're still there. They're still wanting to fight for those policies. Um, there are millions of people in this country. Uh, we lost the election, but 10 million people voted um, for that manifesto in 2019. Even more voted for a similar manifesto in 2017. Um, and and the party has been democratised. I would like to see it go further. I think it was a disappointment of the Corbyn era that there wasn't more of a push towards community activism and more of a push to grassroots decision-making. But we did see progress in over the last four years. 
So whilst we have a leader and probably soon we will have a front bench that, that some of us uh, might not agree with um, politically, we're still the biggest socialist game in town um, and it's we're still much closer to a socialist government than at any other time in my lifetime. So, yeah, it, we, we, we've had a setback in December and we've had another setback yesterday, but we're still much closer than we have been for a very long time. So I think now's the time to, to crack on, basically. It will be really tempting to try and undermine Starmer. It will be really tempting to cut up your membership card. Um, it will be really tempting to maybe just stay a member but, but withdraw from active involvement. Um, but we haven't got time for any of that, I don't think. We, we've got a climate crisis. We've got a pandemic going on. We've got raging inequality. We've got one of the most vicious right-wing um, Tory governments we've had in a long time. So we we don't have time for those sorts of the, those sorts of factional gains. Um, we we need to we need to crack on. Yeah, no, well I, said. I, yeah, well said indeed. Uh, you know, I absolutely agree with that. At the end of the day, we've got to we've got to get into a position where most people are using bikes and buses. We've got to replace basically every gas boiler in the country. Uh, We've got to completely change the way we generate electricity generally. Um, We've got to have all of our cars be electric within the next 10 or 15 years. Um, None of this can be done with the sort of wishy-washy Miliband era uh, halfway house politics um, that we saw uh, in the past of trying to meet the the Tories halfway. We have to maintain that sort of radical politics. That necessity is known to the public at large. Um, and uh, I hope it will be, I hope that will be understood by the leadership of the party and that we'll be able to come to an accord in that, in that regard. Would you agree with that, Callum? Or? I would, yeah. I think the, the issues that we've raised over, over the, the period of Corbyn's leadership a lot of people, until now, I think this crisis haven't really taken them seriously. Sort of the problems in the employment sector, things like zero-hour contracts, the the impact of austerity on our public services, and and obviously the climate crisis is is the number one crisis, the, the biggest crisis that we will face, and we are facing right now beyond coronavirus. It goes well beyond that because it affects everybody. Mm-hmm. That could be billions of deaths. So I think we're starting to get there in terms of capturing the imagination of the public in terms of some of the, the, the hope and the prosperity that the policies that we're offering can bring. Mm-hmm. I think it's a case of sticking to those policies. I know Starmer's saying that he was going to stick to majority of, of, of Corbyn's policies and what we put forward, and that's completely right because, as, as we've said before, it wasn't the policies that went wrong, it was an issue around Brexit, it was an issue around we'd effectively been caught off guard by by what was a very savvy right wing. So there's plenty to be positive for. And I, I for one, would be continuing to be arguing for all the socialist policies and, and, and a proper left foot forward approach when it comes to the Labour Party. And I'll be doing that within the party and with members that may disagree with me and even new members that may rejoin in, in the light of the recent leadership election. So stick around, that's the message. Um, if, I may, if I may summarize this in a phrase, socialism is now not an ideological aspiration, but an existential imperative. And that's why we have to 
stay the course. Absolutely. I think also, actually, I think I'd like to go on record with credit to Corbyn. I think he he's changed the game, I think. Um, I think the history books will be much kinder to Corbyn than the press has been. Um, he He's transformed the party. He's given hope to a generation again. And, he, and he's changed the conversation in British politics. Um, he wasn't without his faults. He wasn't the best uh, orator. Um, there, there were times when he got things wrong. I think there were some questionable things he did around Brexit, um, which, which contributed to, to our defeat um, last year. But I think his legacy will be transforming British politics and, and, and making socialist policies viable again. Um, he, he couldn't quite get us over the last hurdle, um, but he's taken us down far. So, yeah, ma- massive respect for Corbyn. Okay. And uh, I think on that note, we will finish. The mantle is now yours, Kia. I think um, we'd all, despite all of our uh, potential misgivings and debate here, uh, we'd all like to wish him the best of luck. And uh, we shall see what happens next. Okay, so it's goodbye from me. We'll be back next week, I believe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so we will see you next week.